Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corinne Pettit, and joining me today for a discussion about genital and inverse psoriasis is leading dermatologist and rheumatologist, Dr. Joseph Marola, who is an associate professor in the Department of Dermatology and Department of Medicine in the Division of Rheumatology at Harvard Medical School in Boston. Dr. Marola is also the Director of Clinical Trials and the Director of the Center for Skin and Related Musculoskeletal Diseases at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, where he specializes in two major disease state areas psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, and connective tissue disorders. Dr. Marola is on the board and is the founding president of PACMAN, which is the Psoriasis and Psoriatic Arthritis Clinic's multicenter advancement network, whose goal is to emphasize the value of early identification of psoriatic arthritis and collaborative care for patients with psoriatic disease. He is also a past medical board member of the National Psoriasis Foundation. Welcome, Dr. Marola. Thank you for taking time to be on SoundBites today. So to start our discussion, we know that one in four people with psoriasis will experience genital psoriasis. What is the difference between genital psoriasis and inverse psoriasis? And furthermore, why is the prevalence so high? Absolutely. So first of all, thank you for having me, and I'm, I'm delighted to be here with you. So I'll start with one clarifying comment, which is for those of us who are, I guess, lumpers versus splitters to some degree, we tend to separate out the concepts of inverse psoriasis and genital psoriasis, and I'll explain a little bit. Genital psoriasis is that occurring specifically on genital skin, and it can but doesn't have to overlap with inverse psoriasis, which is psoriasis that occurs in body fold areas. What are those areas? It can be anything from involvement behind the ears to involvement in body folds of the skin, under the breast, in the armpit area or in the uh, what we call inguinal folds, in the groin folds. And as we'll come to, I think, can be incredibly, there's really probably two big topics there. One of them being that it turns out, as you said, it's quite prevalent. And we actually did a study here in Boston using what's called the Nurses Health Study data a number of years ago. And we're surprised to see that upwards of 23-ish percent or so, almost a quarter of our patients with psoriasis reported having involvement in their body folds. And so that was surprising. And other research from other groups has shown that upwards of as many as 60% of patients have reported ever having some genital involvement of psoriasis, which obviously makes it not uncommon. And when we layer on that, the fact that we know it can be very impactful on quality of life and function, we arrive at our discussion today. <laughs> so, so hopefully that's a bit clarifying in terms of how we use the terms and how, in fact, prevalent or common these types of psoriasis are. Good to know. Thank you. So what are some of the symptoms associated with genital or inverse psoriasis and what can make symptoms worse? So that's a great question. Because of the location on the body, you can imagine that in those areas of skin folds and in the genital area, there are a variety of different symptoms that are described by patients. And it is quite a laundry list. And in fact, a number of years ago, we developed a score called the IPBOD, or Inverse Psoriasis Burden of Disease Tool, 
and we looked at all of the different symptoms that might impact patients. And because again of the body folds and the potential for friction and rubbing, for clothing, rubbing against these areas, there are a variety of, of symptoms that patients may describe. It may be itchy, there may be some fissuring or cracking, skin breakdown, odor, issues with intimacy or sexual activity. They can impact body self-image in that we saw increased shame or embarrassment reported by patients, patients avoiding physical contact, impacting their clothing choices, impacting personal hygiene, work, school, recreational activities, pain, and it can even impact mood, right? Being anxious or worried about these areas. Uh, we even looked at whether or not it impacts finances and relationships. So we've looked at this in great length and because it is so potentially impactful, we've been really focused on making sure that clinicians, physicians are asking about these and making sure that patients also feel comfortable sharing this with their doctor. You know, it's not, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. In fact, it really is your dermatologist, your primary care doctors or other physicians' job and role to make sure that you've told them about this and they can help think about ways to minimize the symptoms and the signs of inverse and genital psoriasis. And how would someone know that it is psoriasis and not something similar in appearance? Yeah, so that's a really wonderful question. And one of the reasons we, we've also termed inverse psoriasis and genital psoriasis, the hidden psoriasis, is that not only is it covered and often covered from examinations and physical examinations, but the truth is not every even clinician will know about inverse psoriasis. And not only that, it can be challenging diagnostically. So some of the mimickers or the things that we might think about, particularly with inverse psoriasis, are, for example, something called intertrigo or involvement of friction, rubbing, and irritation in these body fold areas. Yeast infection can sometimes masquerade as inverse psoriasis or be confused with inverse psoriasis. One of the ways we can distinguish that sometimes is the way it looks may be a little different. We may see little kind of pus bumps or pustules around the area that might imply more of a yeast infection. The presence of tinea or other fungal infections can sometimes be confused. And again, your doctor may take a scraping of that to look under the microscope or a culture to help tell these apart. Irritant or allergic contact dermatitis, meaning an allergy can sometimes be confused with this. And occasionally even the skin biopsy may be required for us to tell these apart. But the first step is making sure your doctor's aware of it and has thought about the possibility of linking this entity to psoriasis. It certainly helps if you already have a diagnosis of psoriasis elsewhere to raise the suspicion, but occasionally patients have only this type, and that can be a little bit more challenging. There is also a, a list of things that can present and be confused with genital psoriasis. I will say this you know, very importantly, a lot of our patients come concerned with an STD or a sexually transmitted infection when in fact it's psoriasis, which can commonly occur on the genital skin. We have to think about other conditions in this case as well. Believe it or not, there are certain medication allergies that can present on the genital skin that might be confused with this. There are other yeast and fungal infections, as we mentioned earlier, on the genital skin that can be confused. But also there are potentially some neoplastic conditions, early precancers and such that can present in this area. So it is important if you have a skin rash 
that your concern might be psoriasis on the genital skin, that if it's not improving, um, as you might expect with appropriate topical treatments, or it's behaving in a way you know that you're concerned about, that you show it to your skin doctor or primary doctor to make sure that someone's had a look and does confirm that it's in fact genital psoriasis, as opposed to one of these other conditions. So you already alluded to the emotional and physical impacts of having genital psoriasis. Can you expand on the impact on quality of life for people with psoriasis? Yeah, so this is really important for patients because I think, again, unless we know that patients have these subsets of disease, it's hard for us to help. So again, I'll start with a call to make sure that patients are not in any way embarrassed about sharing this with their doctor. That's, again, that's what we're there for. And so please do share that if you're having these symptoms, but also how it's impacting your life. And the impact on quality of life is significant. We did go into some detail about the different symptoms and how it may impact quality of life, particularly around inverse disease. I'm going to spend a minute as well, though, on genital disease, because in addition to the symptoms we mentioned, the itch, the pain, the discomfort, the stinging, the bleeding, the clothing choices, all the things we talked about, for genital disease in particular, there's another layer and element of inversion genital disease, which is sexual dysfunction and social interaction, interpersonal impact that really needs to be, I think, uncovered. And again, it's so important to have these conversations openly because we know that there are psychological outcomes. This disease has been linked to increased anxiety, depression, feelings of embarrassment, feelings of unattractiveness, self-consciousness, and then sexual functioning. We know that there can be increased discomfort and symptom worsening after sexual intercourse. There can be impact on social function and the way you, it may impact patients of all ages, but particularly younger patients, it may impact social interpersonal functioning, dating. It may also impact even one's ultimately relationship and have rippling effects on a partner or a spouse. So again, I think it's also particularly important because as we'll come to a little later, there are interventions. We do know that we have effective treatment for genital and inverse psoriasis. So the sooner we uncover it, no pun intended, the sooner we can get to appropriate therapy and really thinking about how we might approach this from that perspective. So how do you coax your patients to discuss this topic? Because it is such an embarrassing issue. Do you have any tips for a person that has this disease that can make it easier to bring up with their physician? Absolutely. And you know, we, we have some data behind this as well. So there have been some studies, and I can quote some numbers for you, that upwards of almost a half of, of patients, almost 50% of patients did not discuss genital symptoms with their physician who had them. This is a study based on almost 300 patients done in the Netherlands. About a quarter of those patients felt that a physician paid sufficient attention to their genital lesions. Upwards of 70% of those patients never applied treatment for their genital lesions. There were higher symptoms among women than men, and more severe symptoms were reported in upwards of 40%. So the take-home there is that it is a high burden of disease. There's low awareness, but Patients, I think, do want to have this conversation with their physicians. How do we convince all parties that this is important? I would actually think that the first burden is on us as clinicians. We have to create a comfortable environment for patients to, to ask about these. And part of that is, for me, it's, it's saying, first of all, normalizing it and saying, I will often tell patients, I hope you'll feel comfortable talking about this, but a large number of our patients, upwards of 60%, may have had 
genital involvement of, the, of their disease? Is that something that you've experienced? And I think that can be very normalizing and, and opening to the discussion. You can then always ask if they feel comfortable with an examination or not. I do think that there's a little bit of a breakdown across, and there's some ongoing studies about this, across the sexes with their comfort having an examination. And in that case, I think it's okay. You know, it, it's okay if, if a female patient, for example, would prefer to share the exam with their gynecologist or with a female physician. That's great. We can make those arrangements. Or certainly it's something that, again, we can normalize and say that this is a common part of the dermatologic exam and an offer to, to have that as part of the exam. But the first step there is really the patient feeling comfortable raising it and then understanding their options around you know, an examination and then ultimately treatment options thereafter. I will say it is important for a doctor to have seen the area at some point because there is a different variety of conditions that might mimic this disease. And so I, you know, I, I think uh, the exam is an important part of the diagnosis. And then similarly for men, of course, you know, they may variably be comfortable with an examination and arrangements can be made, I think, for an exam that makes the patient comfortable and they have to be comfortable with sharing that part of the exam with their doctor. Yeah, that's so true. So you mentioned treatments. What treatment options are first considered for use with genital or inverse psoriasis? I'll start by saying it certainly depends on the severity of disease. And then from there, we start to think about a variety of different approaches. And to begin with, let me say that we can lump these genital and inverse together for a moment, although there may be slight differences in our approach to treatment as such. In terms of topical agents, that certainly is often the first line for these conditions, depending on the whole patient, right? We have to consider how severe is their psoriasis in other areas? Do they have psoriatic arthritis or not? So that may already impact whether or not we're going to be discussing systemic therapy. But if we just focus on inverse or genital, first-line topicals, for short-term use, your doctor will likely be talking about some topical corticosteroids. We typically focus more on low and medium potency topical steroids because these areas are at risk for developing skin thinning and stretch marks if we use topical steroids or very potent topical steroids without any breaks for a long time. While it is first line, it's more for intermittent and short-term use. Otherwise, we will often reach for off-label use of all of these, uh, or many of these things. We found helpful immunomodulator topicals, for example, topical tacrolimus or topical pemacrolimus, which are non-steroid topicals that can be used safely on the genital and inverse skin, both for treatment, but also maintenance therapy. Sometimes topical calcipotriene, which is a vitamin D-based topical, can be helpful for more mild disease in these areas. There is some variable use of topical vitamin A analogs in these areas, although I, I think they can be a little bit irritating sometimes for these areas of skin or combination of some of those agents that we mentioned. Occasionally, you know, even just thinking about treatment of friction and skin barrier treatments in these areas can be helpful. The sort of Vaseline and petroleum-based ointments to keep the skin moist and healthy can be helpful. The right clothing choices can be helpful as well. So all of those things may be first line. When we think about moving down the algorithm here for some more topical resistant or moderate to severe disease, we may think about focused or targeted laser therapy in some areas, such as eczema laser. 
but there is a role for systemic agents here as well. And in fact, there's off-label use of a variety of oral and biologic injectable agents, everything from methotrexate to oral agents such as a premolast, which may have some benefit across a variety of different psoriatic skin conditions. And interestingly enough, we do have one therapy that looked specifically at genital psoriasis in a clinical trial, and that's ixekizumab, an injectable IL-17 therapy that showed clinically meaningful improvements in genital itch and also impact on improvement in sexual activity outcomes with use of that drug specifically for genital psoriasis. So I think a number of other agents are looking at specifically trying to derive data in the genital psoriasis compartment and inverse compartment so that we can better understand how to best treat our patients in a really data-driven way. And are there any concerns or risks associated with the use of calcineurin inhibitors that you mentioned, tacrolimus or pimcrolimus? So in terms of safety of use of, of these agents, of course, across the board, nothing comes with that. As they say, there's no free lunch. There's always some adverse event or side effect to think about. With regard to tacrolimus and pimacolimus, I think of these as highly safe drugs. They do come with a warning that's really based more on their use as oral systemic agents and in high doses in patients used topically in small areas. They've been used in pediatrics and in adults. And for targeted area use, I tell my patients that apart from the common side effect of some stinging or burning when they first are applied, I think of them as otherwise very safe agents. And how would therapy choices change if you were treating both genital psoriasis and a fungal infection? So that's a great question. And it really is important for us to understand whether or not there is a, first of all, is is what we're looking at fungal candidal, meaning yeast, or genital or inverse psoriasis? That's the first step. But the question of overlap, is it possible that we might even have both? is an important one. I think your doctor should be able to do some appropriate testing uh, as such. And occasionally, if need be, we can treat both. And there are a variety of either combination products or variable use of agents targeting yeast and fungus versus psoriasis, if need be. So we have, let's just say we have tricks up our sleeve for both. uh, And certainly we can try to find a balance between maintenance of either or both of those conditions. So you mentioned ixekizumab, which has a relatively new indication for genital psoriasis. Are there any other treatments in the pipeline for genital or inverse psoriasis that look promising? The ixekizumab program was one of the first, and to my knowledge, one of the only to to dedicate a purely genital psoriasis study of that caliber. We certainly have seen some data from other mechanisms looking at, in a less robust way, at impact on genital skin, I think it's important to realize that our highest efficacy agents that work in other aspects of psoriasis, we have every reason to believe that they will work robustly as well in genital psoriasis. So I think any of our highly effective therapies can face these other conditions. So I would keep that in mind when talking to your doctor. That's why it's so important for us to understand really the impact on quality of life, because Burden of disease and impact on quality of life is one of the big decision points about whether or not we should be having a discussion with our patients around a systemic agent or or escalating therapy. And this should really factor into that discussion very strongly. 
And Dr. Marola, do you have any final comments you'd like to share with our listeners about genital or inverse psoriasis? Absolutely. So I would just make a call to everyone to remind you that genital and inverse psoriasis is common. It is nothing to be embarrassed about. And it's really important to raise your concerns around this type of psoriasis with your doctor. We didn't get to talk about it, but inverse psoriasis in particular has been associated and is one of the risk factors that may increase the risk of developing psoriatic arthritis. And so if you have this type of psoriasis, please do think about raising the question with your doctor about whether you're at risk for psoriatic arthritis or may have psoriatic arthritis. And finally, there are treatments that are effective for genital and inverse psoriasis. And it's important for us to get to the diagnosis so that we can get to appropriate treatment and an effective treatment to keep the condition under control. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Marola, for a very informative look at genital and inverse psoriasis. As you mentioned, this is often a topic that is not discussed, but one that's important to address. If you have genital or inverse psoriasis, please contact the Foundation's Patient Navigation Center for more information about this topic by email at education.psoriasis.org or by calling 1-800-723-9166, option 1. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.